People with trauma fall roughly into two camps. One who works with optimism, that healing really is possible. And then there's one that goes with the idea that no, healing from childhood trauma really can't be done. It's impossible. Just look around, look at me, no one's healed. Well, I gotta say the second kind of person can really get to me and it happened today. Every morning I wake up and I do my daily practice techniques. I write, I meditate so that I can start the day neurologically regulated and I can, you know, enjoy the gifts of having healed from so much of my trauma. Then I get a cup of coffee and I read this amazing collection of people's experiences called the comments section here in YouTube, which is a treasure. And it can be really intense, right? There's so much love. There's so many miracles to report. And then sometimes there's this horrible, toxic pessimism. And that's what happened today. And I feel very protective about that. I don't want people like you to see this toxic pessimism and get discouraged and think like, oh, Anna said I could heal, but now somebody else is telling me it's impossible and Anna's nuts. So I gather up some very good questions from time to time and I read them and I'm gonna do that in this video. I'm gonna give you answers to a bunch of questions that have come up recently in the comments section, but I'm starting with this one because I just want you to know, oh my gosh, healing is possible. You can always come up with a negative scenario, but it's just, we are living proof that the symptoms of trauma, especially starting with neurological dysregulation, when you calm that, so much else in life gets easier. When you surround yourself with like-minded people who are working on healing, there's so much encouragement to just keep going. Because it is a process, it's a step, one foot in front of the other, and, uh, and then we look back sometimes and we go, oh my gosh, I've overcome some of my worst problems. So I'm starting with this one comment, buckle your seatbelt. It really offended me and it disappointed me because it was someone who has been watching videos and commenting in thoughtful ways for at least a couple years. You know, I thought we had a little bit of an online connection there. Um, and she was responding to what I consider to be one of my sweetest and most helpful videos ever about the signs that you will notice in yourself when your trauma is healing. I'll connect you to it at the end of this video. I'll get you a little click to download a worksheet so that you can look at the signs of healing and be encouraged, all right? But this person wrote, I love much of your content, but I do not agree that one is ever healed of trauma. Learning to live with it, yes, no one would ever expect the survivor of a concentration camp to be completely healed. They never are. I know. I spent a lot of time with Jewish concentration camp survivors. So I just want to say sometimes like evoking the Holocaust to try to prove a negative point, I, I don't feel like that's fair. Of course, Holocaust survivors have been through horrendous trauma, but it still doesn't mean that we can't heal our CPTSD symptoms. Okay. I do find great cultural differences, says my commenter. Your worldview is naturally American. Oh boy. Here it comes. Whenever people try to like label me or stereotype me as American, it's never good. <laughs> I actually like being American. I'm very happy about it. Uh, naturally American. Here it goes. Something snobby and a put down which does have a much more optimistic approach to life. I guess, I don't know, people are all different. Just telling you, all over the world, people are all, people are all different. The other day, the endorsement, she's talking about me in a video of full-time work as the ultimate goal in life. I'm sure, I'm quite sure I never said full-time work is the ultimate goal in life. 
she says, especially for women, was considered as a form of healing. I don't know what video she's talking about, but when people write in and say, I'm trying to get on my feet, I don't have money, I'm stuck in a bad relationship, I say, get a job. And, um, you know, that's what people say in every country of the world, actually, when people are stuck and don't have any money and are trying to figure out how to get on their feet. It's not American. It's not unique. Um, nobody can see beyond their cultural norms, and I find you are the best YouTuber around, so I think highly of you. But I hope you can take on board that your expectations are exceptionally high. And then she says all this stuff to say that she thinks I'm smart and I'm good and all that. And so she says, to be honest, I sometimes feel traumatized by your content. We do not have the pursuit of happiness in our Constitution. And she's from Britain, I happen to know. And per I don't know what's in the Constitution there, but it doesn't matter. People would like to be happy everywhere. It's not, it's not pathetic. It's not stupid. It's not wrongheaded to wish to be happy. And there's no guarantee, by the way, in the U.S. Constitution of happiness. It just says that we have a right to pursue happiness. It's recognized as a right to pursue that's very much what we're doing in seeking to heal from complex PTSD. She says, happiness comes and goes, but American culture is so far from English culture, but does not seem so because we share a language. Well, I know quite a bit about the difference between U.S. and English culture because my husband is English. And as a matter of fact, my first husband, my kid's dad, was also English. And so I am fairly tuned into some cultural differences, and there are some. And there is a little bit of a um, don't get too big for your britches, don't be too sunshiny. But I promise you, when I go to England and I bring my optimism and sunshine, it is quite welcome with virtually everyone I meet. People are happy to be around happy people. Um, I wish you continued success, but I'm signing off. Thank you for all I've learned. So she's quitting because she feels triggered because I'm happy. And this is what I would have liked to have said. She's gone, so it doesn't matter what I say. It's just such a shame that you never tried the techniques that I teach. The techniques that I teach are how to take all that fearful, resentful thought about Americans, about the Holocaust, about happiness, about working full time being so difficult. A lot of fear and resentment there and to have somewhere to put it, to have somewhere to move it into the stream of things moving through your life, moving through your emotions, and to open up space for oxygen and inspiration and understanding and insight and action about things. It wouldn't do very well if we were to just feel sad about terrible things that happen. We do something about something that happens. And every atrocity that's happened in human history was driven by fear and resentment. So every time we use the techniques I teach, the daily practice, if you want it, down in the description section, like I said, I, I will hook it up to the end of this video. I will never let you watch a video without a reference to the tools that can help you get free of the pessimism and the down thinking and the feeling that it's impossible to heal and you're irreparably broken. And it's just like, you know, it's a it's sort of like xenophobia to be like, see, Americans just say you can be happy. It's like, I know, I know, I know unhappy people in every, everywhere I've ever gone in the world. And I've also met happy people everywhere I've gone. I can't make this happen, but I wish every comment would just keep supporting the people who are taking positive steps today. So I'm going to keep doing it. I invite you to keep doing it. When you comment here, when you comment on something that somebody else has said, look for ways you can lift that person up and encourage them. Nobody came to watch these videos because everything's great. I'll tell you that. Some people come and poop all over the comments. And we do, we usually remove those. And if people are actually cruel to other people, we will hide them from the channel. 
but you're going to see pessimism. And you know, when you see that, try to encourage people. That's what I'm going to tell you. Encouragement is medicine. Discouragement is poison. So goodbye to this comment. I've addressed it now fully. Let's move on. I'll tell you some other comments I saw. And some of these are just like technical questions that I get asked a lot. So I thought I'd give you a one-time answer. So somebody else asks, why don't regular psychiatrists or psychologists use the stuff I teach in therapy? Where did you get all this info? What did you study for this? All right. So that's a great question. And it comes up. So what I know about therapy is from going to, I don't know, 11 or 12 therapists over the years and finally tapering off several years ago when I realized definitively that every therapist I'd ever gone to, this kind, that kind, long-term, short-term, couples, individuals, that it had tended to make me so dysregulated that I couldn't really benefit from it. And in many cases, there was a philosophical like disconnect there about what the problem was. Most of the therapists I saw in my life, they had no idea what trauma was or what it meant. You know, I've always had like classic CPTSD symptoms. And only since about 2014, 2015, has that been widely known? Like, what is that? What does it look like? What do you call it? And and so that's out there, but it's still poorly integrated. And you'll see in the comments here, a lot of times people are like, wow, I've been going to therapy for years. I've never heard of complex PTSD. This describes me to a T. This is the first time anybody got it. So this is a real thing. And it's just not really well integrated out there. And it's not, it's often not what people are learning in school or they're learning it or they're going to workshops. A lot of um, professionals and not just therapists, doctors, social workers, people in the helping professions, teachers, they go to a, an in-service training that says now you're trauma informed. But I'm just going to say what constitutes trauma informed is sort of all over the map. I'm glad people are learning about it in any way, shape or form. But it doesn't necessarily mean that someone can understand you and your symptoms and know the difference between what's a quirk of your personality and what is a classic complex PTSD symptom. What is dysregulation? I mean, one of the biggest things, if I could get everybody to understand, it's that neurological dysregulation, not just emotional dysregulation, but the whole body, the whole ability to focus, that it's really impacted by early trauma. And um, it can happen in adult trauma as well. And adult trauma can sort of let the cat out of the bag, the genie out of the bottle on childhood trauma. And all this dysregulation comes up. And so somebody who was normally fairly functional will sort of break down. And that was certainly what happened to me. I was, I had a rough childhood, but I had it pretty well compartmentalized. And then I had like a whole bunch of major traumas happen all at once when I was about 30 and blah, I couldn't read. I couldn't use the phone. I was crying all the time. I was saying inappropriate things like something was wrong. And at that time, they didn't know what it was. They just thought I was nuts. And they tried to put me on medication and they told me to go to therapy a lot and talk about it, which made me worse. It made me worse. And at that time, somebody walked into my life and showed me the daily practice techniques, you know, out of the blue. I mean, there were like five people in the world doing this at the time. And I ran into one of them. She offered to show it to me and she showed me. And after, I don't know, a week or two, I had changed so dramatically that it would have, I, I just, you know, the, the night that I got that, which was sometime in February, 1994, I wish I had kept a diary. My life is basically everything up to that point and then everything that came after. It was life changing for me. And I didn't know what it was. You know, I knew it was a miracle. And now I know based on the, the, what we've learned from research and um, the knowledge of people like Bessel van der Kolk and Pete Walker and many, many other people who are contributing to the literature about this, 
um, in some different ways, but in some ways that come together, I had complex PTSD um, and it was activated by adult onset trauma. I had acute trauma as an adult and boom, it sort of loosened up the calcified little door that was holding down all those trauma symptoms. I mean, I was never like tip top as a young person. I, I had, I don't know, I was, it was stuff that you would really more assume as personality. I had never gotten to where I couldn't function. I was always kind of an over-functioner, a straight A student, things like that. And then I just couldn't do anything. And uh, I was pushing away all my friends. It was, it was quite intense. And in a way, I'm grateful for the experience because it was so clear and dramatic, like something happened and at the time, you know, so one of the terrible traumas that happened was a violent assault on the street. I was randomly attacked. I won't talk about it much. I know that's really triggering for people, but I was unconscious and I woke up and I was in the hospital. I had some things broken in my face and teeth and, uh, and I couldn't remember exactly what had happened and I could not get any help really for what had happened. And they, they did a CAT scan and they were like, well, your brain's not bleeding, so you're fine. When I kept saying something's wrong, like, I can't think, I can't even put my thoughts together. I don't know what's going on and I can't control my emotions and I'm so angry. And they were like, they thought I was just angry about the assault. And funnily enough, to this day, I'm, I'm really not that angry about it. I feel like it was terrible but it, and bad luck, um, but there was so much more to it. And... Um, the anger that was coming up was more like a lifetime of anger. It was a childhood full of anger about not being cared for and about never being respected as a human being, you know, in that context. Not never. I had many good teachers and neighbors and things like that, but I had some pretty rough stuff happen when I was a kid and it wasn't fair. And of course I had anger and, you know, you can't really go around being an angry woman all the time, but then I just could not not be an angry woman. So that's what I, that, that was one of my formative experiences that taught me about it, um, that taught me what I teach you now. Then I learned these techniques and within a few weeks, I was teaching them to other people. Like people started to notice like, what happened? You're like totally different. And not, it's not just my behavior. It's like my skin changed. It went from being kind of a pallid gray <laughs> color to looking you know, rosy and warm and alive. My eyes brightened, my posture straightened. I started to have the energy to exercise, which is a positive cycle on everything. And I noticed that when I um, would run and exercise intensely, I could get a lot of that, those emotions out. So I was writing, I was meditating, I was exercising. I started to go to a 12-step program for families of alcoholics, which I qualified for. And for the first time I was hearing people talk about that. And I was like, does really other people had that too? And that was, that was just like mind blowing for me. And then I had this wonderful woman who had shown me these techniques and she would let me read what I wrote when I, when I called, you know, roughly about once a week. And she would go, I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. And we would end up talking and relating and laughing. It wasn't like therapy where somebody said, that must've been really hard. How did you feel about that? Like, that's what they were trained to do. But when I'm in trauma, when I'm in complex PTSD, if you ask me that question, it will tend to dysregulate me. If you ask me, how did I feel about a trauma? I'll think about it. And then some little you know, connection is made in my brain that then activates all this dysregulation. And if you're new to my work, dysregulation, neurological dysregulation, it's an injury sort of that happens from early trauma. Other things can cause it too, but that's what I focus on. If you were abused or neglected as a kid, it causes brain changes.
It causes some brain changes. Luckily, much about that can be healed, but it's amorphous. You know, people use the word wiring. Well, there really are no wires in your brain. I'm just saying it's a, that's a metaphor for what happens. That means a connection, a way that things connect. And you know, 200 years from now, people might laugh at our current scientific understanding of how the brain works. I don't know. So I don't, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a therapist. I talk about the experience. And the experience of healing from, of having dysregulation is discombobulation, confusion, your handwriting changes, <clears throat> words, you, you can't find your words or they come out all wrong. Um, you feel disconnected from people, like it's hard to read the room, hard to pay attention to what's going on. One example I use is uh, driving off from the gas pump with the thing still in your car and <laughs> yanking it out of the machine. I did that twice in one week once when, Something really bad had happened and I was gravely dysregulated. So when you're dysregulated, first of all, you're very vulnerable to chronic health problems. And that is documented. I'm not just like guessing. That is documented. People who had a lot of trauma as a kid have a significantly increased risk of chronic health issues. Certainly depression, anxiety, addiction. Those are things that are pretty well known, but also diabetes, heart disease, cancer, strokes, um, high blood pressure, reproductive disorders, um, autoimmune disorders. And I have two autoimmune disorders, and I don't doubt that those are connected to my trauma because the onset was during extremely stressful periods of my life. So what, that's another place that I have learned. So I read books. I don't read every book out there. I read the ones where they're introducing new explanations for what's going on. And two of the most influential were Vander Kolk and Walker for me. That's where the lights came on. They both described things that nobody had ever described for me before, not in the sort of stuff that was more geared towards therapists. So I just find the literature geared towards therapists, especially from the 80s and 90s, I just don't resonate that much with, and I know some people do, and, and I absolutely respect that people respond to different treatments. And so I really encourage everybody on this channel, like if you think a treatment out there sounds like it might be helpful, I encourage you to give it a try if you can afford it. So the technique I teach, it's free. Everyone can afford it. It's worth giving a try. It's very simple. You need a pen and paper, and you need to have instruction in the technique. And so I, ha I put the course free online because that's kind of my promise to the world is I will always give this to you for free. And I do free Zoom calls every two weeks to do the techniques together with whoever shows up. It's now like two or 300 people at the time I'm taping this. And we do the techniques together and I take questions. And it's always very um, interesting for me to hear from people and hear, what, hear how they're working with this. And some people have this, you know, just huge transformation quickly like I did. Some people, it's, it's a little slower, you know, everybody's different. Some people don't respond to it at all. They're just like, I don't get it. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. I'm like, well, don't worry then, you know, that it may not be your thing. But I'd say there's about half a million people doing it now um, by, through learning it at Crappy Childhood Ferry. And that makes me tremendously happy because it saved my life. So it was learning how to do it, then teaching others. I used to, I started out teaching people in my 12-step program how to do it, and a lot of people wanted to learn it, but um, my 12-step program was, on, was focused on families of alcoholics, and it was sort of hard to fit in what I was doing with like, this helps you with the effects of alcoholism in your family, which, you know, you can see the logic of that, but it wasn't until I understand that really the thing wrong with me Yes, I, I am the adult child of an alcoholic, but the real issue is that I ended up with complex PTSD.
and I have classic symptoms of that, and those symptoms can be treated. And so it's very specific, and it's an outside issue to it to that 12-step program. And so I started Crappy Childhood Fairy, first a blog, then some videos to try to show people the techniques. And um, when I was teaching it as the truth of what it is for me, which is how I treat my trauma symptoms, then it sort of caught fire. Like so many people related to what I was experiencing, which I had no idea. I mean, I, I really, I, th I just thought, I don't know. I get asked about this a lot. I, it's taking so much of my time explaining it, you know, one at a time to people when they call, they heard me talk about it. They ask, can I show them? And it takes like an hour to show somebody. And then I would stick around and let them call me. And I just didn't have, you know, it was like 20 hours a week of my life for years. <laughs> and I was like, I gotta find, this is getting so popular, I have to find a way to share it more easily. And so I um, put it, you know, I put it in a blog and then I had to make a video to show how to do the writing technique. And that was 20, 20, uh, 16, 17. It was, it was about then. And I'm taping this today. It is May, 2023. <laughs> and boy, what a difference six years makes. Um, so much has changed and it's just taken off and it's, um, widely respected by many, 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 uh, doctors, therapists, psychiatrists, and just folks all over the world. And one of the great pleasures that I have is when we get together on these Zoom calls, I say, hey, everybody, tell me where you are. And people are calling in from all, literally all over the world. And so that is an experience that I recommend is just to, just to know that not only are you not alone, but people all over the world, uh, people in, um, you know, in South Africa and Japan and Saudi Arabia and, and Colombia and Peru and and in, yes, the United States and, and certainly all over Europe, Europe, Canada, United States and Australia are widely represented because we all speak English. And so my, my material reaches people quite well to the English speaking world. So that's a lot of who you'll find, but we find people everywhere. And it's such a joy, such a joy to connect with everybody and to know that what we have is similar. Our symptoms are common and normal. And, you know, they're normal for somebody who went through an abnormal childhood like we did. And just knowing that, ah, this whole relief comes off. So I continue. I read my comments. I coach a lot of people. I lead these calls. So I'm really like in the soup now for six years working directly. Well, really for 25, 28 years working directly with other people and learning just from that direct experience and first informed by the whole 12-step program and philosophy, which is fantastic and powerful and world-changing, and then into the research of the ACE study and um, uh, Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score, Pete Walker, who I've met, and going on and reading more and more literature, some of my fellow YouTubers. Uh, this is a very, uh, this the evolution of our understanding of trauma is very much dynamic right now. And so when people occasionally come on here and go, hey, what are your credentials? You have no right to help people. And it's like, hey, guess, guess what I have news? We all have every right to help each other and we can share our experience with them. And um, isn't it great? So I go out of my way to just say, look, I'm not a, I'm not a therapist or doctor. If you want to try these techniques, they can help alleviate symptoms of your trauma, such as dysregulation. And then my videos are basically me describing what I've learned, what it's like to have CPTSD and what it's like to recover from it and how I did it. And now that, you know, I have the benefit of other people's experiences, I work with them too. So that's what it is. And, um, 
you know, you can, you can decide if it's for you, if, if, if you want it, but mm, <laughs> it's kind of catching fire. And I, I, I couldn't be happier when it, when I, the, 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 the dramatic change in me when I first recovered, when I first had these techniques and believe me, it's not all technique. The technique puts you on the playing field where you can begin to make changes. For me, life didn't really get better until I started cleaning up my act, getting my life together, stopping the self-defeating behaviors, learning to connect with people, right? But you can't do any of that when you're dysregulated. And that's the piece. I didn't invent that, but I'm one of the people who teaches about it. And um, one of the people from whom a lot of people had, have received the message. So that is a really meaningful and important piece of my life and something that you know, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, I would say, I'm good. I've contributed greatly to people's capacity. Like my videos will live on, I hope, long after I do, for people to learn how to do this. And for all I know, it's going to become common knowledge one day. But it isn't yet. <laughs> so I'm working really hard to share it with everybody. So that's how I know about it. And by the way, I do... I <laughs> Some people say, you know, you don't need book smarts to do this. And it's like, okay, well, I do have a master's degree, but it's not in psychology. It's in public policy from UC Berkeley. That was valuable. I have a bachelor's degree in uh, video production. And for a long time, I ran a video production company. Before that, I worked in healthcare and I was a consultant who worked on the patient experience and other indicators of clinic performance. Before that, I did marketing and before that, I did comedy. So I used to think my career was a mess. <laughs> I thought it was all over the place and I just quit things. Now doing Crappy Childhood Fairy, I feel that everything I've ever done has been part of my curriculum to, to prepare to do this work, which is my true calling. And I'm very, very happy about it. So anybody who wants what I have to teach, welcome to the channel. And if you don't like it, there's so many channels out there. Okay, next question. That was a long answer, wasn't it? All right, Anna, could you please talk more about merging? Okay, this is a relationship question. I think you named something I'm prone to. Um, all right, merging. This is something that happens when people fall in love and get together, who uh, especially, we're, we're very prone to it if we have attachment wounds from a traumatic childhood, especially if there was emotional neglect. And so merging is when you meet somebody and very quickly squish into a committed relationship together, move in together, make all of your life about the other person. And you know, this is sort of the stuff of legends, isn't it? Like true love that you met and you never spent a night apart. And I totally respect that sometimes that happens. And I'm just saying that if you have complex PTSD, sometimes that can be a little bit of a trap because your attachment wound and also a lot of the side effects of trauma that can go along with it are like um, you're, you don't have money. You maybe are couch surfing. You don't have anywhere to stay right now. And you are so alone and unloved in your life that somebody just coming along and saying, you're beautiful, you're great, I love you, you would just sort of merge with them, you know, just become like one blob, blobbing together. And when you're blobbed in together with somebody and merged, it can be very hard to think clearly when you're unhappy, like, is it, am I unhappy because of them? Am I unhappy because of me? Is it something from the past kind of projecting? It's very hard to tell. And especially if you have trauma, I recommend not merging. I recommend going more slowly and getting to know somebody slowly because that attachment wound, it'll just go wonk and it'll just eat up, you know, the relationship. It'll just make it your life instantly. And it's really hard if you realize two weeks later or two years later, you know what? This is 
horrible. I made a mistake. I don't want to be here. But now your, your finances, your living situation, everybody you know, maybe your work, everything is tied up with that person. And so it's very difficult to make a change and to leave or to just make an adjustment where you're not so merged. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. And that's, it's a PTSD thing, definitely. And I, it, it, I think other people do it too sometimes, but it's mostly people with attachment wounds and fear of abandonment so that, that they can't leave a relationship that's not good or pull back from it because it triggers abandonment melange. And that's so unpleasant that you'd kind of put up with anything to avoid it. Once you have a name for it, it gets right-sized. So that's why I always go, hey, it's called abandonment melange. The way you get really like freaked out and horrified and in pain and angry and you know af afraid, the way that happens to you more than other people has a name and it's a trauma response. And when you know what it is, you can go, oh, I'm having a trauma response. Okay. It might not be as bad as it feels right now. So, okay. Next thing. Um, what is the C in CPTSD? I'm pretty sure I have it and I struggled for years. Okay. <laughs> this is something I, 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 you know, it just drives people crazy. I, I don't say it every time I say CPTSD and you'll hear me say childhood PTSD and complex PTSD. And both those words start with C. And what do I mean when I say CPTSD? All right, CPTSD stands for complex PTSD. And that's the kind that comes from, not from acute exposure to trauma, like standard old PTSD, but chronic, you know, ongoing intense exposure to stress. So that could be, it, it most often comes from an abused and neglected childhood. It goes on and on and on and on. It shapes your development. So it's not just like one terrible experience. So that's what complex PTSD is. It most often comes from childhood. It doesn't always. And people who have the symptoms that I talk about here, who didn't have the problem in childhood, had it later, of course, come. Come work. Even if you can't think of any trauma in your life, if the shoe fits for healing your symptoms, stay right here. That's what we're focused on. My approach is about treating symptoms. I, you know, I leave it to the therapist to help you analyze what happened in the past. That's part, that may be part of your healing for you. But then there comes a time to get very practical. It's like, what do I do when, you know, I kind of like go from zero to 60 and freak out about something very triggered and then sabotage my life. Then you come see me. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Childhood PTSD. What I like about that word is everybody knows what it is. CPTSD, it's not really well known or complex PTSD. Not everybody knows what it is unless they've been reading literature. So childhood PTSD is just like the natural language colloquial term that I use, but it's not exactly the same as complex PTSD. It's a subset. It's the colloquial word for the subset of people with CPTSD who acquired it in childhood. Little tip here, people who got childhood PTSD often end up more prone to adult onset traumas too. I certainly did, so that happens, okay. Anna, do you reject the idea of soulmates? I've been with a man I consider my soulmate for the past seven years. All right, I'm gonna t I took this on because also I take so much heat for my position on twin souls. So first of all, soulmates, twin souls, two separate things. Um, I'll just say I'm agnostic about the idea of soulmates. I don't know. I don't have a golden tablet that tells me the exact truth about things. I know the feeling that somebody is a soulmate and... Um, 
I, uh, you know, I'm a spiritual person, but I have tended, I hold that concept very lightly because it's one that my trauma can sort of seize on sometimes in order to merge with somebody and put up with crap to crap fit with them. <laughs> crap fit. That's my word for fitting yourself to unacceptable people and situations. So I can't really trust myself to decide if something is a soulmate situation. And I've just decided for myself, I don't really need to call anything that. I just need to assess, Am I? is this a good relationship? Is it bringing out the best in me? Do I feel committed? Uh, you know, am I here to bring out the best? And my husband, you know, my husband is, a, is just like the best guy I've ever been with. And I'm so grateful to be married to him. And we, we had a wedding, we took a vow. We have been together 15 years you know, all our um, financial destiny is together. He's helped me raise my children. We help each other with life problems. Then we also have oxygen in our lives. We have our own activities. We have some of our own friends. We have couple friends. So I don't really need to look at the soulmate concept. And honestly, because my relationship is so um, uh, actualized, it's a real relationship. It's not a fantasy. I think fantasy relationships is more certainly for me and a lot of people who have trauma. It's more like in the relationship you wish you had that you might be inclined to assign it the idea of the soulmate. So you're saying you've been with who you consider your soulmate for seven years. And I just respect that. I, I hear you. Your soul is happy in this relationship. It feels right. I think that's what you're saying. So I just caution everybody. If it's not an actual relationship, use care with that idea. I'm going to just go ahead and use this chance to say once again about twin souls. That's an idea from New Age philosophy that for some reason a ton of people who believe in it come to my channel. Well, I know why they do. It's because I talk about limerence. So the idea of twin souls is when uh, it's a belief that somebody's soul has split in two and gone into two people. And quite often it's used as an explanation for why one person is madly in love permanently with somebody else who doesn't want to be with them. And I would be very hard pressed to think of any exceptions to that. And I had somebody once tell me they thought I was their twin soul and I didn't even like them. And I ended up later having to call the cops on them and they, ugh. <laughs> um, they impersonated people online in order to try to get back into my life. It was some pretty crazy stuff. But that wasn't the, that's not the only reason that I'm sort of down on it. I'm down on it because it's a tool for limerent people. Um, it's usually a woman and um, limerence is like an obsession with somebody else that's used as an addiction to escape your life with somebody who's not interested in you. And so I get these really like angry defensive messages from people who are into the twin soul idea um, to say, you don't understand, you know, actually your twin soul is there to teach you what it's like to suffer or to point to what it's like, I don't know, you do whatever you want. But if you come to my channel, I'm teaching people how to stop magical thinking and how to stop believing that when somebody says, look, I'm not into you. I don't want to be with you. I'm with somebody else. I'm not calling you back that that's a very real communication. And it's not a sign that, that really somebody is into you. That's not what it is. And there are thousands of people who are here on this channel who are working on healing that because it's caused tremendous suffering. If you believe that your true love is this person who's telling you to get the F away, it's sadly, you're not going to be available for, a, a, for real love, to be loved and to be connected to the world. It's an addiction to a fantasy. And that is my opinion. Now, what our souls are up to, what everything means, you know, none of us knows. 
So I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna take too hard a point with it. I'm just gonna say if you're here because of limerence, and I think that's why there's like armies of people. When I look on YouTube, YouTube has this tool that will show you insight of what search words did people use to find your channel. So there's like this many search words and about this many of them are things like codependence, limerence, trauma, right? Words that you would think would lead to me. About this many are astrological signs, which is also how people use um, magical thinking to believe that somebody who's not interested in them, that there's some deeper meaning where they actually are, that it's their destiny. Also twin souls, also, also psychics. So all of this can be abused. And there are so many people out there who will gladly take your money to tell you like, sure, he, he like doesn't even know you exist now, but um, you know, there's all these concepts embedded in that philosophy of like uh, the runner and the chaser or something like that. And I just, there's just a little bit that I've picked up from people talking. People think I don't know about this stuff, but you see, <laughs> I've lived many years here in Northern California and um, I've always been somebody who participates a lot socially and I've gone to classes. I've learned like seven different kinds of meditation and I've known people and in some new age stuff, I, you know, believed it once myself too. And I'm just telling you, it's, I don't, I don't say what I'm saying because I don't know anything. I'm saying what I'm saying because I am directly in contact with a lot of people who I coach, who come to the channel, who are in the program, whose lives have been absolutely gutted by magical thinking beliefs that have kept them pouring all their emotional energy into a ghost, into somebody who's actually not in their life. And then they can't, they can't have proper love. And there's, uh, there's almost a hundred percent of the time grave financial problems with that. Cause there's a lack of, you know, connection to the earthly realm. Right. So that's what I'm trying to help people with. And, um, so take it or leave it. You know, I'm not here to have a philosophical argument with anybody, but if you're looking for material, that's all about how great that, um, you know, soulmates or twin souls are, I would just say it's probably not your channel here. You would go to a different channel. How about that? Okay. Okay. Here's one link below on your classes where, so people ask me all the time, where can I find this? And I always say it's linked below in the description section. So a lot of people watch YouTube and maybe you've got it full screened or something, but right underneath, there's a description section and you can usually see the top three lines. And I've usually got some links there, the, the top line. And then it says, um, read more, or, you know, it's, it's a little, it's a little link that you click and a big longer list of links opens up and it'll tell you like how to write a letter to me, which of my classes you might want, how to be a member. It'll tell you how to access online therapy with better help if you want to. It's all there. So that's where it is. And if, if all else fails, you can go to my website, which is called crappychildhoodfairy.com. Okay. So that's where you can find everything. We try. It's funny how hard it is. <laughs> we have so many offerings, like so many free downloads and courses and programs that it starts to get a little complicated, you know, having a super clear, like, just do this, but we try. All right. Here's one. Somebody said, the truth is I seldom meet people who don't have ulterior motives. Where are the good people I can trust? So I just want to give sort of a blanket statement. If you're perceiving that only pe people are all bad out there, I would just say you're having a trauma driven experience and it's blocking you from interacting fully. This happens when you're in a bad space, you'll often only be comfortable and only resonate with people who are pretty screwed up. And it's a, you're getting pinged. <laughs> hey, it's time to heal. It's time for you to heal a lot of your stuff so that you see red flags and so that you feel comfortable. Gosh, somebody said in the comments today, it was so brilliant. 
and they said, um, being around somebody who's like has you know has their life together. I well, some somebody else taught me in the comments. It it brings up shame in us. And somebody else today said it's like calming. And when we're calm, we start to feel bad. <laughs> like all this stuff comes up. That sometimes we maybe crave a bit of drama and conflict with people because it helps us suppress a bunch of grief and anger and feelings that we can't face. Right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right to me. So. Um, so just keep healing and you will find that the people around you begin to transform some of them as individuals, but some of them by replacement, you become resonant with new kinds of people who are jollier and, um, worth meeting and trustworthy. Okay. All right. Somebody says, I'm curious if, if the crappy childhood fairy me, if I've ever been personality type by Myers-Briggs, curious if you're the INFJ counselor type and, um, no, I, I have taken it and I believe I'm the ENFJ, whichever one is, um, they say it's like CEOs and preachers. And I think that that's pretty accurate as it turns out. I'm the CEO of Crappy Childhood Fairy and I'm more or less a preacher. <laughs> okay. Um, have, have you tried using chat GPT? <laughs> yes. Um, it's very interesting. I recommend everybody try it. It's really interesting. And, um, you know, supposedly it's going to play a extremely big role. And by the time you watch this video, for all I know, our robot overlords will have completely absorbed. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm sort of laughing because, um, chat GPT is, is really cool and it's really funny. So my husband looked me up last week and said, what do you know about Anna Runkle, the crappy childhood fairy? And it said that I was a Canadian psychologist. I'm American. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> and then it said that I teach and it did all these bullet points that you would see if you looked in like, um, web MD or some super vanilla generic, you know, non updated trauma informed thing on what is trauma, what is PTSD? And it said, I teach about PTSD and talked about PTSD symptoms. It was very dull. It's, it hasn't caught up yet <laughs> with who I am, but soon enough, I'm sure it will. And, um, so then <laughs> a lot of people have said, when you do your videos, you could have chat GPT, write them. And so I've experimented, uh, I did a video about good and evil about a month ago. And it was really like, I put a lot of work into that one. I was thinking about it a lot, the battle of good and evil. And I asked chat GPT, what is the battle of good and evil? <laughs> and is it real? And I ended up in a big argument with chat GPT, which perhaps it helped teach it, but it basically had no moral reasoning at all on this. And it said the battle of good and evil is, uh, it just said it's totally relative and it's whatever you don't like. And I said, like what, like what is, um, what is evil exactly? And you know, do you not believe in evil? It does evil exist. And it said, well, evil is, is it said it was like environmental degradation and racism. And I said, so, um, it said, but it's, it said, but it's really, you know, it's whatever people feel it is. And I said, so I was trying to think of something that like we can all agree is evil. Right. And I said, slavery, I said, is, isn't slavery like absolutely evil. And it said, oh yes, yeah, slavery is evil. So I couldn't get anywhere with it though, to just sort of say the battle of good and evil. And then, um, I asked Bard, which is another one. And I said, what is the battle of good and evil and is evil and is it real? I said, and it said something that was more satisfactory to me, which said, 
the battle of good and evil is something that is reflected in human culture and literature for, you know, thousands of years. And it's something that everybody, every culture recognizes some version of it. And then it talks about some examples throughout history of how people have seen it and how it plays out. That was more satisfactory to me. None of it was anything I could use to write my video about it where I was saying like, when you are abused or neglected, it's like this evil touches your life and if you if you don't heal from it, it can sort of take root and then you become the transmitter of evil. That's how abuse happens, right? Hurt people hurt people. And so I, I really put a lot of thought into that. Anyway, chat GPT was not helpful at all. And I told it so. I said, your moral reasoning is crap, chat GPT. <laughs> you don't seem to know anything about, there's a lot of literature about this, you know, from over the millennium. So, <laughs> so there you have it. But I'm still, I remain curious about it. Okay. Here's one that I really liked. It's, is wanting to own a horse limerence? I'm considering that I'm fantasizing and daydreaming. I tell myself that the future will be better, but I barely interact with horses. And there's more, but I just wanted to say, oh, yes, I think it is. And um, I was one of those kids who was obsessed with horses for a period of time. I was so into them. And I would think about them all the time. And I would imagine what it would be like to have a horse. And there was a little bit of hope for a minute that I was gonna have a horse. It didn't work out that way. And I had a friend with a horse and like twice I got to ride a horse when I was a kid. Like that was as far as I got, but it was like, it meant the world to me. And I think what I was into was it represented freedom. It, re it represented like being able to be up above it all and go where you want to go and like fast and free. That's how I felt about it. Um, there's like old Freudian theories about that. And I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't think that was true for me. It was about freedom. It was about autonomy. And, um, when I think about it, the way that I was obsessed with horses does remind me of how later I was obsessed with people. Yes. And, and as a matter of fact, between horses and boys <laughs> was Laura Ingalls Wilder. I was totally obsessed with those books. And when I was nine, 10, well, I guess starting when I was 10, 10, 11, 12, 10, 11, I think those are the years I was obsessed. I would, um, like totally focus and read books and go to the library and try to find out how do you time travel. And my agenda was, I want to go back to the 1880s and go befriend Laura Ingalls Wilder and live with her family. And I'll let you interpret what that means. But the, I, I've talked about this a little bit before here in Crappy Childhood Fairy. Uh, I really wanted to dress like her. And, you know, we were dirt poor and I went to a thrift shop. I babysat for money. I went down there with my little quarters and dimes. And I got some weird old nighty <laughs> that was sort of Laura-ish. And I got some ice skates and I got a screwdriver and took the blades off. And they have a totally rigid sole, so you clomp around. But they look sort of like high-button shoes like they had back then. And I would braid my hair. And, um, and then my job was to get a bonnet. And I finally got a bonnet by writing to the Laura Ingalls Wilder Museum. And I told them, and I said, my name is Anna Runkle, and when I'm a grown-up, I'm going to make a movie about Laura Ingalls Wilder, and it's going to be amazing, because nobody understands her like I do. And I, I would say, I think I could make a great movie about her. And they said, well, you're in luck. Ed Friendly and Fred Friendly at NBC Studios are going to make a show called Little House on the Prairie. And I remember it was like a dagger in my heart. It's like, but I'm going to grow up and make that. And then the show came out and maybe you loved it and maybe you hated it or you never heard about it. But when I saw it, I grudgingly watched it, but I hated it. it the spirit of it was all wrong. 
So for those of you who are film buffs, I'm thinking of something a little more with like a Terrence Malick feeling about it, because reading her books to my kids later on, I, um, I could hear the incredibly beautiful writing about the sensorial experience of living on the prairie, eating food. The key fact about Laura Ingalls Wilder is her sister went blind. I, you know, I took this in as an adult and reading all the books that people wrote about her historically, which I enjoyed every one of them too, <laughs> more recently. But when her sister Mary went blind, she attempted to be the eyes of Mary by describing to her what she saw. And that's sort of what forged her into such a great writer. She is a great writer. It's beautiful literature. Still have all the books. Okay, enough about limerence and horses and Laura. Okay. Um, somebody says, just wondering how autism, which is also an injury to the ability to connect with others, enters into this. Um, a lot of high-functioning people with autism also have CPTSD. I have a video that I made with Paul Mikolaf of Autism from the Inside. So first of all, autism is not an injury. It's the way people are made. And CPTSD is an injury. It's caused by trauma. You weren't born with it. And so they're different, but they have a big area of overlap of symptoms. And yes, many people with autism also end up with CPTSD a lot because of what happens in families and with other kids when you're autistic. You get bullied, you get mistreated, your parents are exasperated all the time. It can be, you know, it can be difficult and you feel different. And a lot of things that cause trauma are present when you're autistic. So. So there's some overlap there, but I just encourage you to, you know, there's a video where Paul and I talk about the differences and the similarities, but they are quite distinct phenomena. Okay. Um, just wondering if you've ever studied borderline personality. My mother was diagnosed, etc. So I do think I had a borderline in my life before. They were never formally diagnosed. I'm not a diagnostician. I've certainly read about it. And um, I really haven't made videos about it because uh, because I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I'm curious about it. And I, am, I, I don't like the idea that people who are working on the DSM manual in the United States are thinking about lumping CPTSD under borderline. Energetically, I will say that I have observed very different things about people I believe to be borderline and people I believe to be CPTSD. And, you know, very few people are formally diagnosed with CPTSD. And some people are hastily diagnosed with borderline, and maybe it really was CPTSD. There is a lot of overlap of symptoms, but one of the um, differences is in borderline is self-harm and risk-taking. Uh, so I would just put that out there. <laughs> self-harm and risk-taking are two things that are not really characteristic of CPTSD per se, like extreme risk-taking. The person I knew who I, who I think may have had borderline, and it was just horrible having a relationship with this person, someone I dated, who ended up dying, who ended up taking his own life, which is one of the extremely horrible things that goes with borderline in many cases. Before he did that, he was driving around on a motorcycle 100 miles an hour, and, and one day he came over with um, his clothes full of broken glass, and I was like, what is this? Oh, I was in a car accident. I was going 100 miles an hour around this tight turn. I was like, why? Why would you do that? And it was behaviors like that and drug addiction, and then these, these like crazy mood swings of idealization and then total vilification, you know, uh, vandalism, you know, graffiti wrecking my belongings, you know, three hours after you're the most amazing person, where I just got really clear, oh my gosh, I'm dealing with something here. 
So that is, um, those things are classic borderline. So I, I've wondered, I've wondered about that. CPTSD has the emotional dysregulation that people associate with borderline. So what I do know about diagnosis is that it's not, diagnosis is very subjective to the diagnoser. And so for the professionals qualified to diagnose these things, officially qualified, maybe reimbursed by insurance to diagnose, many mistakes have been made, many things have been missed, and research shows that, um, that it's somewhat meaningless how people get diagnosed with these things because of that. When it gets to the level about how they treat various disorders like this, some mental health conditions are, can be diagnosed quite clearly and can be treated definitively. CPTSD borderline are not like that. And so a lot of people have opinions about how to treat it, but it's so across the board and wild and you know unmeasured that you would have to say it's meaningless. And I didn't make that up, that's from the literature. So, so I don't worry too much about diagnosis myself. And in your life, you may need to worry about it because of insurance and because of you know, um, what it means for being able to access services or things like that. So, and it may give you answers about why you have symptoms you have. For myself, um, I cannot diagnose myself or anybody, and I would just say it's more important to focus on healing your symptoms, whatever your diagnosis is, and then to um, find out if there is any known solution for what it is you've been diagnosed with, and if it's a meaningful solution that has, you know, if, if there, is there evidence that the solution works? It came out recently. Well, I think a lot of us have known this for a while, but talk therapy followed by medication being the main thing that insurance covers that is considered what a person does about trauma. For a lot of people, it doesn't work. And in fact, it can be more dysregulating than doing nothing at all. And that heavy exercise might be at least as helpful as talk therapy and medication. You know, there's just a lot of variability here. So that's why I'm so, I'm such a stickler about saying, I don't diagnose and I encourage you to focus on your symptoms. And if you're drawn to a treatment that works for you, check it out, try it. And if you get great results, stick with it. And if you don't, keep going and looking for new techniques. I found what helped me, that's what I teach. I teach the sort of folk wisdom methods that help me of daily practice and then getting your life together through good old, you know, getting support from other people and systematically setting about to transform life problems. So that's my approach. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.